Uh, hey guys, uh, welcome to the Beauty Gamer podcast. I am that Beauty Gamer, Dell, and um, this is the first and possibly last, if it goes really badly, episode. Yay! Uh, with me today, I all the way from the land of Oz, I have the legendary Game Master himself, Rob Farquhar. Rob, how are you doing? I am well, thank you very much. How about yourself, Derek? I'm not too bad, I'm not too bad. Can you hear me all the way over there in Australia? Come here, uh, you might have to, you know, tighten the string between the two cans a little bit, but yeah, you're coming through generally okay. Not bad, not bad at all. Uh, so for those who don't know Rob, uh, Rob is a games master uh, extraordinaire, and he you know, specialises in uh, team bonding sessions for corporates and uh, uses gaming as a way of bringing people together, which I find amazing. Uh, so Rob, tell me a bit more about what it is you actually do, for those who don't know what game mastering stuff is. Okay, well, uh, a game master, as it were, is kind of a combination of roles. It's an event organizer, a master of ceremonies, um, a uh, referee, and I suppose interpersonal specialist, uh, a an impromptu storyteller and actor. Uh, the game master uh, is the person who is, I suppose, responsible for a lot of the fun in a session of a tabletop role-playing game. Uh, if you've been watching Stranger Things, we're talking about Dungeons and Dragons, the game that the kids in uh, Hawkins play in between fighting actual monsters from other dimensions and the like. Um, but there, Dungeons and Dragons is certainly is probably the first, most likely the oldest and uh, most certainly the best known role-playing game out there. But there are many, many others with a variety of rules that you can play with uh, that give different experiences to the people who play them. But um, yes, I get a group of about three to five other people aside from myself together. And ideally for four, uh, you know, between two and four hours at a time, uh, once every couple of weeks, we, I take them on an adventure where they get to um, play out the roles, each of them, of, a, of an alter ego that they've created. Some of them are perhaps uh, a little bit more powerful with uh, abilities beyond them, perhaps, and uh, uh, stories perhaps even more interesting than uh, they think they have in their own real lives. And, uh, yeah, uh, go out, explore strange new places, fight monsters, gather treasure and sometimes actually uh, tell some interesting stories about the characters and who they become as the adventures progress. Um, so yes, that's in a slightly expanded nutshell what I am into. So when it comes to like uh, team bonding, you know, which is the kind of thing that you do for like corporates and stuff like that, how does that fit in with uh, bonding together as a team? Well, I've having run sessions of role-playing games they are a really great thing for bringing people together. When my wife died about 15 months ago now, um, in April 2019, um, I'd had to set a lot of my hobbying life aside uh, in the years beforehand because her health was uh, increasingly worsening. And sort of one of the first things I did uh, when I decided to get back into life was to get back into my hobby. And I have found that, you know, getting a bunch of people who don't necessarily know each other all that well together around a table, getting them to come up with these alter egos for themselves and define them using the rules of the game. And then giving them these, uh, 
hypothetical scenarios that they then have to interact with. Mm-hmm. It really does kind of bring them together in interesting ways. And my idea with the uh, team building exercise for corporates is it can help bring people together, even if they are already together in many ways, they're working together, they are working for the same company, they are likely performing as part of the same team, but perhaps whether due to being uh, remotely located or even just the pressures of their job, they don't really have that much of a chance to socialize. And I find that role-playing games, when you think of team building, you tend to think of things like uh, groups of people uh, riding a bus out to the wilderness and building rafts to go across (laughs) rivers together or playing paintball or doing trust fall exercises or uh, smaller little creative exercises uh, or even doing simulations of corporate activities, Mm -hmm. which in and of themselves have their own, have their own benefits. But what I feel role-playing games bring to the table is this real element of imagination of being able to take on challenges, you know, of that slightly more epic scale. Um, You know, the difference between uh, building a raft to go across a river and perhaps sometimes feeling a bit awkward and not not having the necessary skills or physical capabilities to do this thing, um, as opposed to facing down an imaginary dragon where uh, it's basically your, not just understanding of the rules, but your creativity as to how you face that challenge and also how you interact with your fellow team members. Mm -hmm. The rules of the game are in a way, a great little resource for corporate team building in that they in and of themselves present a challenge in terms of being able to take on board new information, understand it and then employ it. And not only that, start talking to your fellow team members, finding out whether or not someone has the way they've built their character or the character they've been given is more capable within a particular area than perhaps the person who is in theory, you know, said, Hey, I want to, I want to do this. And then enlisting each other's aid and seeing how they can, how you can together improve your chances of success. So yes, it's a, um, it's a great little thing to uh, bring to the corporate team building community. I find. Yeah, well, I used to work in corporate and, um, you know, I still do at this moment in time. Mm. And, um, yeah, we, we've had team building exercises before. Not sending, not kind of your paintball stuff or your whitewater rafting where you get wet and things like that, but more kind of like what you call icebreakers, you know, in, in meetings and things like that where you spend five or ten mm. minutes either going through a quiz or, you know, things like that, you know, or, mm. um, you know, building paper mache stuff, you know, that kind of... Yeah as a team or solving a challenge as a team or a riddle or something like that as a team and you know like it's from from being from being pushed into that sort of thing um i don't really i don't really enjoy those types of things if i'm being honest um, but i think i would hmm. do it if it was like something to do with gaming because obviously gaming is my kind of wheelhouse you know so um, <laughs> i played a few tabletop games in my time i played a bit of dungeons and dragons i've also played uh, magic the gathering with the kind of card game that you play um, you know, so I've done a few of those types of things and I think, you know, that'd be interesting for me, but what would you do if someone came along to one of these things who just 
A, wasn't interested at all. B, not creative in any way, shape or fashion. Doesn't want to put on an accent. Doesn't want to, you know, really immerse themselves into the challenge. What would you do as a games master to kind of pull them in? Well, I think there is perhaps a lot of pressure within the hobby to perhaps go all in on that idea of play acting. And let's face it, that's one of the things as a hobbyist I do love about it. And when like watching things like Critical Role, watching this team of voice actors bring their A game to the characters they've created. Yeah. And of course the game master himself, Matt Mercer, playing such a wonderful variety of non-player characters, including particularly the memorable ones like Gilmore of Gilmore's Glorious Goods or Victor the Black Powder Merchant. Um, it is tempting to try and push that angle, but sometimes really it's good to remember that as long as someone is involved and contributing, even if they're not doing voices, even if they're perhaps treating their character as a little bit more like a playing piece, as long as they're involved and uh, having fun within their own bounds, sometimes you do a bit more damage trying to push your own idea of what the game should be and what, uh, participation should look like um, and ideally I would uh, one of the things that we would do as a precursor to the sessions is talk with the manager you know the uh, managers the people who are helping yeah. get these groups together and you know of course who I'm uh, approaching within the company to say this is something that will uh, work out well for your teams um, by the end of the day ideally as I've mentioned earlier on, the idea is to get them working together, uh, analyzing information, getting confident in new skills, but also getting confident in each other. And one of the great things I think about playing an RPG is that instead of being able to get together, you know, when you get together around the water cooler in the work kitchen or the equivalent yeah. and talk about watching Game of Thrones and uh, what happened to Tyrion in the last episode mm -hmm. yep. instead actually talking about the TV show that you all created together and the decisions that each other made and what could potentially happen in the next few sessions. What's the Game Master got in store? What will, you know, uh, what would uh, Fred's character do if Situation X was thrown at him and the dice went badly? Um, so I would think there is a lot of value in there, even for people who perhaps don't quite get it. And, you know, I guess it's like any team building exercise. Not everyone will appreciate it in the same way, but uh, with the right approach leading in, setting expectations, discussing the intended outcomes and just making sure as well during the session, relating things back to the benefits to the corporate environment, again, analyzing information, risk management, and sometimes even stepping up and taking a chance uh, when you pick up the dice and say, all right, it's time to find out whether or not we really do this thing and then rolling them and adding all the numbers together. Uh, even someone who isn't interacting in that, for want of a better phrase, this sounds horribly snobby, my apologies, not intended, but <laughs> high role-playing, uh, realm will still be engaged and intrigued and you know um having a satisfactory experience 
yeah, yeah. Well, you know, like, I mean, obviously in these kind of role-playing games, they do, um, you know, have an element of you coming out your shell a little bit, you know, so you have have to in some ways. Um, For example, I do a lot of um, role-playing via Grand Theft Auto, and, you know, I'm kind of managing a Grand Theft Auto server where um, Uh actors role-playing different facets of the game, so you've got the you've got the bikers, you've got the drug lords, you've got the people who just want to live an easy life and hang out with people online and stuff like that and um, Mm -hmm. we provide a safe atmosphere where there's like you know none of this kind of like uh, griefers coming in and trying to destroy things while you're playing and things like that because it's all private it's all kind of uh, you know modding Mm -hmm. and things like that so we we do a lot of that and yeah people you know act characters you know so some of them will put on accents some of them will act a character they've never been in their life you know because I've never been a cop you know but I'll I'll, (laughs) Uh, you know things like that and it does bring out a lot of fun for people and you've maybe seen some of these role play videos on YouTube where people are like you know streaming what they're doing and things like that and you know that's that can be quite entertaining you know so um, mm. yeah absolutely but it does push people out their shell a little bit and I think role playing does that to an extent you know any kind of role playing uh, brings people out their shells a bit it does and the great thing about it is in a way it almost gives you a kind of mask to hide behind even if it is you sitting at the table there is this idea that you are conjuring this alter ego and even if you're not dressing up or anything which in most cases really uh i think that's a common misconception about rpgs you know i'll even be asked oh so you know when you're a game master, do you wear an outfit? Is there a hat? Is that? No, yeah. it's come as you are. Yeah. You know, you dress neatly. I mean, I'm just wearing a T-shirt right now that a friend of mine bought me. I'll just reorient the camera, which if you guys can see it well, basically just says Game Masters Union, <laughs> which I had to have a, oh, a bit of a laugh at when he got it for me. But yeah, you just, you know, you come as you are, as long as you are dressed, you know, socially. Yeah. Um, and when it is just your friends and having a hobby, you know, if uh, they're the ones who are more likely to be forgiving, if you've had a, um, a bad day and haven't really put much thought into your prints, whatever, but yeah, it is really a bunch of people just sitting around and having a good time. But even so, because of that alter ego aspect, it does give you this chance to perhaps say, well, what if I was more confident? What if I was, you know, people keep telling me to harden up. Well, let's play a, a, a hard character and see what that's like. And, um, um, or maybe, you know, playing, um, trying to take on someone who's a little bit more, uh, vulnerable than you normally are, or a little bit more personable than you, um, are willing to let yourself be Mm -hmm. in a lot of circumstances. Um, I wish I had more than just anecdotal talk right at the moment, but there has been, I've seen a lot of stuff on the web about how this hobby particularly, um, helps people who are on uh, the autism spectrum. It really gives them a place where they can not only try out different aspects of their personality, but I have met a couple of people who've even said that getting into the hobby um, made them, I think on one hand, it made them less risk averse, but also on the other hand, it made some of the wilder ones, it gave them a chance to really kind of, through the rules of the game, evaluate the actions that they were going to take and through making the calculations of success based on the values on their character sheet and the rules of the game and being able to then try things out and see what followed on from their actions, it suddenly made them appreciate um, risk and consequences in their real lives a lot more. 
I get you. I get you. I mean, we've we on the uh, role play server that I, that I kind of co-manage. We have a guy on there who is autistic, and um, he you know comes in and joins in with the with the character world. In fact, his character is like a badass biker guy. You know, like shoot first, ask questions later. You know, sort of thing. Mm. And uh, yeah, he maybe breaks character every now and again when he gets a little frustrated with something or when he's not winning in the situation. You know, um, he'll yeah. get frustrated, break character a little bit. You know, that type of oh. thing. But, because of his, you know, kind of issues, we let that kind of stuff slide, you know, and it, it really means that he can sort of be on a level playing field with everyone else, you know, because he is mm. a character like everyone else, you know. So, yeah, he may be a little bit socially awkward, um, probably in real life, but on, on the role play server, it never comes across as that, you know. So it's uh, it's his way of, um, you know, escapism, you know, like... Um, like a, you know, yes. Mm. So when you're doing these kind of sessions with people, when you've done sessions in the past, what... Can you tell me maybe a time where things have gotten a little weird or when things have gotten a little kind of uh, sort of, I don't know, people getting the, you know, in a bad mood about something or, you know, not reacting very well yeah, to something like oh. the dice or, you know, what, this Boy. is, oh, you know, blah, 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 you know, have you got any, oh. how do you deal with it? I do remember way, way, way back in the day and by the way back in the day, I'm talking about the mid 90s when i was running a game of uh the official role-playing game for the anime series macross 2 which (laughs) (laughs) there is a potential geek tangent that i will not go down with regard to that but yeah basically uh it's in the robotech family transforming fighter jets versus alien invaders kind of thing Ah, um yeah, uh, but I think from memory, I was I was having a bit of an awkward time with the Manai players, and I, um, uh, I, for the way I remember it is that I was applying some of the rules a bit too stringently, okay. and he kind of you know object uh, objected to it and flipped out and basically got up and walked out of the house and went home. Um, <laughs> so yeah, uh, again, it's a bit tricky because it's one of those mists of time things, but. Um, uh, I, perhaps I will say that it is something of a good thing that really I've not had, uh, especially not in recent memory, um, any issues really like that. Uh, you know, I've had groups who've, um, uh, especially when they're new, who've kind of uh, got engrossed in trying to work out the rules of the game and just, you know, get a, a grip on them and who are perhaps sort of almost ask oh you know when when is my turn to act as you know should i be doing anything yet when normally in role-playing games things only get structured in terms of people taking turns when there's a fight on and it's one of those things where it's like really you know okay well you know some people still think this whole thing is a game and maybe they are waiting their turns you just have to explain okay it's quite all right there is while there is a time for waiting your turn it's not now (laughs) be aware of the table but just if you've thought of something fun and interesting that your character wants to do, let us know. We'll give you a bit of, you know, we'll give you the spotlight, the group that you will have the my and the table's attention for a little bit, and then we will move on to somebody else. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I am, I'm quite glad to say that uh, um, flip out moments of frustration and um, outright anger um, have been few and far between. Yeah, because I mean, go, going back to the kind of role play stuff that I do, sometimes you have a situation where, for example, I don't know, um, a group of players go to rob a bank. So they take a they take a player hostage. They they 
drag them up to the bank and to hold the guy hostage while they rob it. The police turn yeah. up. Um, so you've got, you know, five or six cars outside the bank. You've got four or five, you know, armed robbers with a, with a hostage. And a hostage situation then plays out, you know, where, where it's all acted out in real time. So you've got, you know, I'm going to kill this guy if you don't give us safe passage, you know. Like, <laughs> like, in that situation, both the cops and the criminals want to win. And yeah. in that situation one side is going to come out over the other. You know, nobody's, people are going to take casualties on both sides. So some of the cops are going to end up maybe dying or not actually mm. catching the bad guys. Maybe one cop will catch one of the bad guys. Maybe the rest of them get away or something like that. So someone always comes out the loser in that situation. And that's when you tend to find most of the kind of anger and frustration comes out because, you know, oh, this person cheated. They must have done this. How, how did they possibly see me around a corner? You know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so I see what you mean, yeah. People do kind of bend rules a little bit to try and get an, an advantage in, in a situation like that. Both sides desperately want to win that situation and only one side can. And you're kind of like tabletop role-playing stuff. Does that kind of stuff ever happen with you? And how do you deal with it? Well, that? it's an interesting situation because I guess from what you were telling me about the situation you described, you kind of had two groups of players there. There yes. were the criminals who were robbing the bank and then there were the, the, one, the, the police were actually being played by other players. That's right. Yes. So everything in Grand, everything we do in Grand Theft Auto roleplay is mm. player based. So every single character that you come across is a real player. Ah. So there's no kind of uh, non-playing characters, you know. So everything is real players doing doing their roleplay as a cop, or doing their roleplay as a criminal, or doing their roleplay as a truck driver. You know, literally they'll be doing anything. And they, at some point in time, their paths will cross in certain directions, especially at times where a crime is taking place. So you'll have a bunch of criminals and a bunch of cops. Mm, mm. It's uh, the average role-playing game. While it's a different general situation, there are some potential areas still for that kind of conflict, I suppose. Because um, really, uh, if you were to try and compare a, a a tabletop RPG to a video game, it would be a little bit more like. <coughs> pardon me, get even a thing in throat. Uh, those video games where they have kind of like uh, where it's more of a campaign mode, but yeah. you can play PVE or more like say a raid in a traditional MMO kind of thing okay. where you're not really against other players directly. You're going up against a challenge provided by the computer. Whereas in this case, in an RPG, the computer is the game master okay. and it's not really, um, adversarial game masters can certainly exist but really it's the game master usually goes in knowing that it's their job to present an interesting challenge to the players and let them work out how to tackle it and then roll the dice to see whether they succeed or fail so in a lot of cases it's more going to be like the players uh the the game master will set out the difficulty of the situation by giving, telling the players a numerical value that they have to beat. Yeah. And usually, in most cases, the players will go, all right, give them how you've described the situation, which makes, which is, seems internally consistent to the world as we've been playing through it so far. Mm-hmm. Um, so the numbers that you set out, they do make sense. We understand the rules of the game as well. Yeah. Um, so, all right, yeah, we are, we're going to chance our arm at this. We'll pick up the dice, we'll roll them, and we'll see if the, di- the result of the dice plus what's on our sheets can beat that difficulty. Yeah. And if it doesn't, then 
they exactly they fail and it's not just like everything stops you know other things tend to happen will happen as a result of that failure and usually there's it's not just one roll of the dice that governs the overall success or failure of a of a particular situation so uh that said because every character is playing their own alter ego and there is there is a certain inevitable protectiveness you do want things to go well for your character even though in the back of your head you know that the the interesting story is by definition things not going well Well, yeah for that character because um I mean, I remember at one point when I was playing in a game called, uh, uh, there's a role-playing game that's been out for uh, Yonks called Rifts, um, which is this, not exactly post-apocalyptic because it's very high future, extremely high tech, magic, dragons, powered armor, um, super jet fighters, all, you know, lasers, rail guns, all that kind (laughs) of stuff. Um, Using a a set of rules called Savage Worlds. And um i was in a yeah i was in a game and i was playing a glitter boy which is a guy pardon me dog barking in the background okay <laughs> indeed so come on she's a little sweetie you know gotta protect the house um yeah uh which is a, a regular human being inside a 10 foot tall suit of chrome powered armor because it's laser resistant um with a whopping great rail gun that comes up and over the shoulder and when it fires not only does it make a massive sonic boom but it pretty much obliterates everything that's in front of the business end of the gun um and this this glitter boy uh was up against an unknown enemy that was you know these small things that were flying toward him blinking in and out of existence and i'd had this idea that this guy was kind of nobly never shoots first but at this point he assumed that these things were some sort of drone because I'd assumed that as well. And I said, what the hell? He shoots. It turns out, no, they were actually a pair, a pair of living creatures, fairies, pixies. <laughs> and he just killed them. Okay. Which, you know, like, you know, it set him back on his heels and it was kind of like, oh shit, I made this decision. I rolled the dice on it. It's done. Yeah. It's in the fiction that me and my friends and the game master I was with established. I can't take this back. I mean, Maybe I could have. Maybe I could have said, oh, shit, I didn't really mean that happened. I wasn't thinking. Can yeah. I have a rewind on that? And, you know, that's perhaps not an unreasonable thing sometimes. But I thought, no, let's let this stand. Let's, let's live wow. with it. Let's see where it goes. It turned out that the Pixies and their Pixie Queen were actually a bunch of cannibals. And the, the, the team that me and my group had gone in to find the location of and retrieve had actually been killed and eaten by these things. They came out and said, yes, you can have your team back. And it was a bag full of equipment and gnawed on bones. And all of a sudden my glitter boy went from this extreme guilt to almost an extreme other reaction of, okay, no, this guy is going to flip out. This is going to, so we started asking, you know, do you all side with your print? Are you all behind your princess on this? And they, you know, the GM said, yes, absolutely. Of course we are. And I said, all right, I get the boom gun out from over my shoulder and I train it on them. And he said, okay, this is now a combat turn. We roll for initiative, which is the order that everybody moves in. Okay. okay. And in the back of I knew that what was going to happen if I had the chance was the glitter boy was going to aim the boom gun, get target locked. 
and then put it away. He couldn't do it again. He'd just pick up the bones, walk off. But as it was combat, if the Pixies went first, they could start shooting. Something else could have happened. And, you know, that I would not have control over. And my idea of what I would like to happen might not. Thankfully, my glitter boy got highest in the initiative order and exactly what, what happened did happen. He put the gun away, picked up the bag of bones and then just walked off. But it was an interesting moment where I was thinking to myself, okay, I've had these two big moments in this one session where I've firstly kind of thoughtlessly yeah. and then secondly, very intentionally took an action and said, all right, this is going, the consequences of this are going to be in part out of my control. I have an outcome in mind, but I am taking the risk that I won't get that outcome and that other things will happen instead. And I don't really know what those are going to be. Yeah. But yeah. And so, you know, it wound up being when he got back to base, this bit of a guilt moment when he went and talked to uh, his team's handler and said, I shot first, I did wrong. And he said, and she said, well, these were bad people in this case. So, you know, you got away with it, but what you do, you know, how are you going to learn from this? Mm -hmm. And pretty much from that point on, he never, ever, ever, ever shot first. But then he said, never again. (laughs) Even though he was still a bloody overconfidence on, because that was one of the flaws on his character sheet. He'd still, and that was one of the reasons why he never shot first. Because he thought, nope, I'm a glitter boy. I'm in the toughest suit of powered armor known to man. I can handle it. And (laughs) half the time he could, because between the toughness of the suit and the gun, you know, it even got to the point where he decided, hang on a second, I'm wiping things out in one shot with this gun. I better stop using it. You know what I'm going to use? I'm just going to use my powered armor's fists. That's what I'm going to do. (laughs) I was like, like, start charging forward and beating the crap out of things instead. (laughs) Not like getting a less powerful gun and modifying it so that his glitter boy's larger scale hands could use it. No, no, overconfidence. My fists will be fine. Yeah. So, yeah, it's too easy. (laughs) Yeah. But this is one of the things I love and I got to experience as a player about this hobby that you are telling these stories, but through the rules of the game and the dice, you do something that perhaps as an author or, you know, even, or as a, uh, an audience member of a story you can't do, yeah. which is make choices and accept the unknown. Well, that's it. Exactly. I mean, yeah. in, in the role playing that we do, you go into a situation and you might win in that situation. You might get away with things. You might get caught and thrown into jail or you might even die. You know, like in, you know, you might get shot and you know killed and exactly end up going into the arm so there's lots of different outcomes and it's you know with role-playing it's okay to lose a situation yeah in fact losing a situation can sometimes be more entertaining than winning the situation you know so the my Mm. my character you know in the game is a biker and um he you know steals cars and goes and chops them you know that's what he does to make money and um you know sometimes he gets caught sometimes he gets away with it you know sometimes mm. he he gets into trouble with other gangs because where he goes to chop cars is in gang territory of another kind of gang in, within the city um so he has to be careful about you know uh, not wearing his not wearing his cut when he's in that area and you know yeah uh, so that when he's doing something dodgy he's not wearing his biker cut because you know if he gets caught or if he gets you know killed or something like that it goes against the club mm. you know and all that kind of stuff and yeah you know, when he gets caught he he's awkward with the least you know he's like he's like literally like uh 
you know, making fun of them and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it gives <laughs> the cops a bit of kind of interest in roleplay because there's nobody else on the server quite like this guy when it comes to being caught. You know, he always tries to make things awkward, tries to run away from them, tries to, you know, hide out from them, you know, tries to make it interesting, basically. That's that's the kind Indeed. of um, and the same with um, same with situations with other gangs. If he comes across another gang, he's going to want to go and talk to them. He's going to want to you know uh, try and talk his way out of a situation. You know, um, he might end up might wind up dead sometimes, but you know that's that's what happens. And you know sometimes yeah. sometimes he always you know. Indeed, um, but uh, if your character in that game dies, is that a permanent thing? Do you have to? No. So it's it's almost like a whole new hairy bike. Mm. It's almost like being knocked out, basically, essentially. So you know your character. Yeah. Your character gets put down basically, um, and uh, when that happens, you know, an EMS played by a character will come and pick you up, drive you to the hospital, tend to your wounds, mm. revive you, you know, put you back out there. Um, and for a little while, you then have to role play your injuries. So if you've been like shot in the leg, then for a little while, you're going to be walking around with a limp, you know, that type of stuff um, in the game. Yeah. So um, you're going to role play that you have to go back to the hospital for checkups, you know, like and all that kind of stuff. It's, you know, some yeah. of the more mundane stuff, you know, but you still have to roleplay it as a real thing, you know. So Indeed. Um, so for some time, your, your gang wants to go and do something, you've been shot in the leg and you're like, guys, you know, I've just been shot in the leg. I can't do any running here. You know, if um, something goes bad, I can't run away. You know, I'll just stay here. <laughs> or or I'll yeah. go, you know, I'll, I'll sit across the street and watch for cops or something like that, you know. Um, mm. you, you kind of roleplay to the, to the situation, basically, you know. Uh, I'll tell you what, but yeah... Um... It, it does make things interesting when there is the potential to actually kind of lose your character in the respect of the fiction. I remember I mentioned Critical Role a little yeah. earlier on. There is, uh, there, as far as I'm aware, because I, I tend to come and go watching it, they're on their second campaign, but there was this instance earlier on where everyone started out and created new characters for this new game. Okay. And one of the one of them, Talison, made a character called Mollymook, who was a uh, a tiefling warlock, I believe. Um, or I'm not exactly sure whether roles are warlock or sorcerer, something that you know, uh, uh, who relied on, I think, a form of blood magic that he had. And there was this one spell mm -hmm. called Blood Maledict that I believe actually had a risk of losing hit points whenever he used it. And there was this fight between half the group because the other half had um half the players weren't able to make it for a couple of sessions yeah. um so they they got captured by this villain and the other half of the team tried to raid the convoy that the villain was in which had their friends you know locked up in cages mm -hmm. and molly went in was running low on hit points and i remember watching the video i'd know what was going to happen because i'd heard about it yeah. But Talison knew what was going on and he sort of took a calculated risk and used this spell Blood Maledict, made a roll and he was low on hit points and the result of using the spell, it backfired on him. It took his last hit points away, so he dropped. That's not necessarily the end of a character in Dungeons and Dragons, you know, Death Save, that kind of thing. The only problem was is that he dropped right in front of the main villain who had already been set up by the Game Master as a pretty cruel, heartless, slaver kind of bastard. Okay. And Matt, the, G, the, the DM, kind of made a bit of a, a choice that some have not agreed with, okay. uh, some in the audience anyway, and it was like he basically had the character said, hmm, it seems an example needs to be made, raised his sword and finished Molly Mook off, killed him.
right. and nobody, no one else had any ability to resurrect the character. And, you know, I mean, I remember watching this and seeing Talos and sort of like, okay, I've got, I just have to get up and walk away from the table for a bit. I think, you know, as much as him sort of taking himself out of the action, his character was dead. I think there was also his personal investment in this alter ego that he had created. Yeah. And, you know, that it being a part of you and having it all of a sudden like, terminated and because you believe in this group fiction that you've created, you know, you, you can't, you feel like you can't, you don't want to go against the integrity of it and yeah. sort of say, oh yeah, we'll just work out some way of bringing back. Nope. Character is gone. We're going to have to roll up a new one who is going to be a, you know, a different personality It'll still be a character in this adventure, but it won't be Molly Muck anymore. And that much and, you know, yeah. So, you know, there is this, there are, you know, there are these downsides to this hobby. And, you know, I guess it's kind of like what you were talking about in a way where you had people saying, you know, they didn't get their outcome with that siege situation. They're saying, oh, the cop players must have cheated somehow. They must have, you know, um, used a hack or a server hack or something like that so that they could get what they wanted. And, you know, those kinds of feel. And can sometimes the game, it is pretend, potentially the game master might be able to conveniently forget a rule or two, either to get his way or yeah. to uh, perhaps benefit the players where they might feel cheated because a you know, Oh yeah, no, the game must maybe you know, that maybe they get the idea that the game master did cheat for his benefit, or maybe they do feel like, hang on a second. He pulled his punches. I didn't want him to pull his punches. I trust him. I believe in the integrity of what we're doing here. Let's roll the dice, play the rules as written, let things fall where they may. Even if sometimes, because you know, it's, it's, that perennial game balance question. Sometimes the game master might literally forget a rule or might read over a, a set of rules and statistics for a monster. And then halfway through the thing go, Oh, holy shit. I really underestimated how powerful this thing is. That's, that wasn't my intent. That wasn't the kind of challenge I wanted to bring to these characters because these games can be bloody complex. Yeah. I mean, Dungeons and Dragons comes in three different rule books, for God's sake. How can you know, one human being be expected to keep it all straight in their head at any time? So it's, it's a tough one. It really is a tough one, you know? Uh, and yes, as dragging it back to that topic, yeah, I suppose from that regard, people, if trust is a little bit thin on the ground or if you just had a bit of a shit day beforehand, pardon the language, right. um, you can bleep that out, I hope. Yeah, it, sometimes <laughs> Sorry, it can you lead know. you to thinking, you know, you were done by unfairly, whether against you or perhaps too much in your favour. Um, it's, yeah, these things can happen no matter what, I suppose. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. So what advice would you give someone who wants to get into, um, you know, this kind of role-playing that you do? What, what would be your advice? They've never done any of it before. You know, they've seen this video, they've thought, yeah, this guy's talking about some really cool stuff. I think I'll want to check some stuff out. What, what's your advice? Um, I would say don't feel there's any shame in buying an explicitly branded starter set. Um, Dungeons and Dragons, I've not tried it myself. I've got the starter set box, but there's also another one called the Essentials Kit, which I think perhaps does, might do a little bit better job of being an introductory adventure. Um, so don't feel like there's any shame in jumping in there and just giving it a go. Um, if you've never done it before, 
the internet is a wonderful place. People can pick up all kinds and kinds of skills. You might maybe want to have a look at a couple of videos. Uh, there are live streams and podcasts of people playing RPGs out the wazoo. But that said, don't feel afraid of just jumping in boots and all and finding your own style and being willing to make your own mistakes. It's a group activity. As long as you and your friends are all on the same page, even if it's a page, even if it's ultimately a blank page or a page with just a couple of lines on it, which say, we don't really know what we're doing. We're learning as we go. And that's all cool. Then that is fine. Just go in, give it a go. Don't feel like you have to act in this thing. If it feels like a bit of a board game at first, that's fine. No worries. Um, don't expect too much of your friends Com and keep communicating because ultimately as one gamer by the name of Adam Coble once said, um, and apologies folks, I understand Adam has got himself into a bit of trouble on the internet lately due to some um, rather thoughtless comments, but he did say something worthwhile that ultimately a role-playing game is a conversation. It's a bunch of people sitting around a table talking with each other about this imaginary world that they're all building in their heads. So if nothing else, remember that that is at the core of what you're doing. And if you're not having your ultimate barometer should be whether or not you feel you're having a good time and try and be honest with yourself as if you're not why you're not. And if you are, what is it that is make, you know, helping you have that good time and how can you do more of it? Yeah. Those yeah. would be the things I would say. Okay. Okay. Cool. Cool. Um, so as with um, all these um, podcast episodes, what I tend to do towards the end of them is I've got like a quick fire uh, mm. bunch of questions. And what I'd like you to do is basically just ask <sighs> the first thing that comes into your mind based on the question. Um, so I'll, maybe, right. I'll maybe throw four or five at you in, or maybe maybe more. And we'll okay. See where we're going. All right. So, yeah, all right. As a chronic overthinker, we'll, I'll try and uh, fly off the, you know, shoot from the hip. All right. So here we go. All right. So. Okay. PC versus PlayStation versus Xbox. Xbox. Okay. Um, buying games brand new in a box or digitally? Buying them in a buying them in a box. Okay. Um, multiplayer or single player? Single player. Okay. Okay. Uh, GTA versus Red Dead. GTA. Okay, okay. And if money was no object uh, at all, what kind of game collection would you build? Oh, if money was no object. Well, I kind of already got all the Wing Commander games, so I'm, in a way, I'm sort of good. Um, yeah, um, uh, I'm just now. This is the one that really puts you on the spot because it's lovely and broad and open. Yeah. Cl uh, classic Starfighter games, you know, a, a lovely hands-on throttle on and stick setup with a decent chair so that the uh, the throttle and the stick were in the correct positions that I wasn't having to sort of like, you know, when they're on the table, you kind of have yeah. to reach up and hunch your shoulders a little bit to use them. Exactly. That would probably, I think that would be my main thing. Yeah. And actually then... Aside from that, it would also be a nice, comfy, big gaming table mm -hmm. with comfy chairs and all the necessary accoutrements to have 
a good solid tabletop RPG session. That's where my money would also go if right. money was no object. A friend of mine has actually told me that she wants me to turn my living room into the equivalent or the local equivalent of Joe Manganiello's Gary Gygax Memorial Dungeon. <laughs> if you've ever seen that, the act, yeah, the actor Joe Manganiello is one of these Hollywood types who is not so secretly a longtime Dungeons and Dragons fan. Okay, look it up on YouTube. You'll see his former wine cellar with a lovely brick arch construction, uh, with a massive table, wooden chairs, a beholder hanging from the roof, uh, a red dragon's head sort of like mounted on a wood plaque on the wall. Uh, miniatures out the wazoo. So yeah, I've I've been I've even been told that that's what I've got to do with my place now. You, you plan on doing that? <laughs> or not? You know what? I think I kind of have to um, <laughs> to get to kind of get a little bit personal again. Um, I have lived in this house. It's the longest I've lived anywhere, mm -hmm. 15 years. And my late wife basically made most of the decor choices. She had a fantastic eye, this lovely rustic look to the place that I do love. But for the last year and a bit, I have been thinking I need to put my stamp on that place. Mm -hmm. And you know what? A fun project idea like that. What the hell? Why not? Let's go in on it and see where it takes me. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's you know, it's like any decor choice. It's what you're comfortable living in, you know, exactly. You know, yeah. In, in my house, it's the same. My wife makes the choices. Hence, you can maybe see behind me here. There's black wallpaper with skulls on it, <laughs> and there's a red kind of like uh, curtain, and that is completely my wife's yeah. choice of uh, decor. And ah. uh, the, um, I let her have free reign over things like that, you know. So it's like, you know what, you do what you want. You, you're better at it than I am. Just go, go do uh -huh. it. Um, so I'll let, I'll let her choose those types of things, you know. I know. But I tell you what, um, I think my wife would have appreciated it a bit more, perhaps, if I had been a bit more, okay, now I want this in this space. This yeah. is what I want to do. This is how I want to. So don't be too afraid to say, okay, honey, you have fantastic taste. I love your decor. I want, all right. Um, can I, you know, I, I would like to have this chunk of space and I want to do my own thing in it. And she will probably be bloody glad that you sort of <laughs> stepped up and said, okay. Yeah. And, you know, it might lead to a little bit more of you being able to put your own taste in certain places. Again, look, my, my late wife did a bloody fantastic job with this joint and it really is comfy and cozy and homey and everything I would want. But yeah, um, sometimes we... We blokes, we perhaps we get a little bit too timid in wanting Maybe. to please our wives and not making waves. <laughs> when sometimes I think they would actually feel a little bit more like, ah, yeah, there he is now. He's 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 standing up for himself a bit more. Hmm. Yeah, maybe the next you know? case we move to if we have a man cave or something like that. You know, I'll I'll, I'll take specifically, uh, you know, the 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 man cave, and I'll I'll do that up to my to my own taste. Indeed, <laughs> indeed, and for the rest of the house, just yeah, maybe just the odd touch. Yeah, yeah maybe, maybe. just to say, I am here. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, a, maybe a little color choice here, maybe a little color choice there, you know. Possibly, quite possibly. Awesome. Well, listen, Rob, it's been fantastic talking to you. Um, it's been great, uh, an episode here, and I think, you know, hopefully uh, everyone watching will have enjoyed um, listening to some of your stories today. Uh, but that's all we have time for today, guys. I will hopefully see you in the next video. Uh, Tara for now.